Have you been working on your talking, on your speech this week? I've had uh, people tell me that something happened at work and they caught themselves ready to say something and they held back. That's good. You've been doing that? You've been, you've been working on talking better, more positively, learning how to say things the right way, have you? Any of you? Yeah. All right, thank you. I'm glad one did. Good. That's good. Well, we're going to continue looking at what the Scripture teaches about how to talk in a way that builds relationships instead of tears them down. And, and in particular this morning, how to talk when we're mad. Because that's, that's, that's a place that a lot of us really struggle. We're upset. We're angry. How do you talk when you're angry with a goal of healing and helping a relationship rather than destroying it, okay? Back in 2008, two couples got into an argument over the telephone and two people ended up dead. Alabama and LSU played football. Alabama won in overtime. And uh, there was a series of telephone calls between these two couples. One of them were LSU fans. The other couple were Alabama fans. And it escalated until the LSU couple got in their truck and drove over to the house of the Alabama fan. And in the front yard, the two men started fighting. And then the two women started fighting. And while some people were trying to break up the two women, the Alabama guy went into his house, got a shotgun, came out and shot the LSU couple. And as they lay on the ground to make certain they were dead, he shot them again in the back over a football game. It all started with one giving a dig to the other. Then it was reciprocated. And it got hot, and lives were forever changed. Now, that's a ridiculous story, but it's true. It's, it seems exaggerated, but we all know people do crazy things when they're angry. In our relationships, when we're mad, we do things that, well, we may not take a shotgun and kill somebody, but sometimes our words kill relationships. Our words wound a person's soul, words can be deadly, especially when spoken in anger. And in fact, these, these two couples remind me, I think they're an illustration of something the Bible says in Galatians 5. In a minute, I'll ask you to open your Bible to Mark 10. But in your notes and on the screen, Galatians 5, the Bible says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, and the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But, and notice that, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. It's the picture of animals fighting each other. And when animals fight, they can wound the other one. But it's also true that sometimes wild animals locked in deadly combat end up killing each other. And that's the picture the verse is painting. All of us want what the verse says at the beginning. We want good relationships. We want loving relationships that are meaningful and last and that they, they last and, the, and they're a blessing to us. That's what we want. We want love. But instead, we often experience conflict. And there are some of you listening to me in this room, some watching on television. Conflict is a constant in your life. It's really more the norm than the exception. 
And if that's true, then this message is especially for you. You'll, you'll, be, you'll benefit from listening and putting into practice what God's Word teaches about this. But all of us, sometimes in place of love, we experience conflict. It's part of life. And the reason is that good relationships are not easy. They take a lot of hard work. And when it comes to this issue of anger, they especially take a lot of hard work. Because anger, when badly handled, kills relationships. So it's important if you're going to have good relationships, you learn how to deal with anger, how to talk about it and how to handle it in a good way, not in a bad way. So as we continue the series of messages, let's talk. Today we're going to focus on what the Bible teaches about anger and how to talk when we're angry and how to deal with our anger. And I want to make a key point at the very beginning of this message. Dealing with anger requires that you and I understand where our anger is really coming from. What is the real source of why we feel the way we feel? Often we focus on the surface. Something happened, someone did or said something, and we react in anger, and and we think that's all there is to it. But often there's a lot more to it. Often our reaction is a result not only of what someone may have done or said or some circumstances, often our reaction is, is pointing to something deeper inside of ourselves that we don't want to look at or deal with. And it is critical if you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, and as people who want good relationships with the people in our lives, deal with anger. It's critical if we're going to deal with anger well, we have to be willing to look inside. Not just out at the circumstance, not just out at what the other person did, but what is it in me that's going on right now? What's the real source of why I feel the way I feel about that particular event? So Mark chapter 10, open your Bible, please. Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at an example of Jesus' disciples, his 12 disciples getting angry with one another. What can we learn from it? What can we learn from what Jesus did, how he handled that episode? Mark chapter 10, verse 35, we'll start. uh, Follow with me as we read together. Mark 10, verse 35. The Bible says, James and John, this is two of the disciples. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Isn't that a great question? And Jesus said to them, Well, what do you want me to do? And they said to him, Grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. Jesus, when you're in heaven and you're on the throne, you're in your glory. Let me sit on one side and my brother sit on the other side. We're going to be your left and right hand man. We're going to be on the two sides of the throne. We're it. We're the, we're the, we're the big Jesus, so to speak. We're going to be there. Jesus, let us have those places of honor. Let us be the favored ones. Well, Jesus and these two disciples have a conversation. And he says, are you willing to experience the same kind of thing I'm going to experience in the days ahead? And very naively they say yes, even though they didn't really know what he was talking about and what was coming for them. And they talk about that a little bit. But then Jesus finally answers their question 
And, and verse 40, when he says, To sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give. It is for those for whom it has been prepared. He says, listen, I don't even get to pick who sits on my right and left in heaven because the Father's already determined that. So, no, you don't get to sit. But notice what happened next. Verse 41. Really important verse. Hearing this, the ten. Now, twelve disciples. Two of them... Jesus, let us have the favored position beside your throne in glory. Well, guess what? The other ten heard them. You ever heard somebody say something and it made you mad? And so they, they heard, and it says that the other ten began to feel indignant with James and John. That's a nice way of saying they got angry. They got mad. How dare you? You think you're better than us? You think you're better than me? You think Jesus likes you more than like you know? So here among the twelve, this argument ensues. Now, what was the source of the ten disciples' anger? Well, on the surface, it's what what the two did and said, the attitude exhibited, the attitude behind their request, right? So what the two James and John did on the surface is what made. The other ten, angry. And that's part of it. But that is not all of it. Now sometimes other people do things, say things, and it hurts us. It makes us mad. Life, life works that way. But our reaction, our anger is not always just about what they did. In fact, I want to suggest that quite often our anger, our emotions is not only about what that person did or that group did or what happened, but our anger is also like a red flag saying something is wrong that sometimes it's also pointing to something going on inside of us that we need to pay attention to. It's not just what they did, but it's something else as well inside of me. Sometimes I need to look a little, dig, a little, a little, little deeper, a little deeper. See, in your notes, I don't think I put it on the screen, but in your notes are the words to, to Luke 9, 46, where it says an argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. When James and John went up to Jesus and said, Lord, can we sit on your right hand in the, can we, either side of your throne in glory? And then there's this debate developed. It wasn't the first time the disciples had been arguing about who was the most important. They had a history of arguing about which of them was better, which of them was more important in the kingdom of God, which of them was special or more special. This had been an ongoing issue with the twelve. And in fact, this issue was so deeply rooted within these guys that the evening when Jesus was arrested and the following morning he was put on trial and crucified, that evening before Jesus was arrested, you know the story, what happened? Jesus was in a room with his 12 disciples. They observed the Jewish Passover, and then he instituted the Lord's Supper. This is a, a sacred, holy moment. He's teaching them that he's going to die. He's asking them to pray for him. 
And in the midst of that evening, in that setting, immediately after Jesus gives his disciples the Lord's Supper, the very first time, in Luke 22, 24, we're told there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. And so it here, here it is. Jesus, Jesus is in anguish. He's about to be arrested. He's about to have the sin of every man and woman placed upon him, and he's about to die in our place. But they, in the midst of that moment, that conversation, are arguing with each other about which of them was more important. Where was their focus? It's on themselves. And it led to an argument. And sometimes it may have been Peter and James who had the audacity to go up to Jesus and ask him could they sit beside him, but they all wanted it. They all wanted the same thing. They'd all been arguing about it. They were all 12 focused on themselves more than on Christ. So there's stuff going on in them. And sometimes, just like these guys, our anger says something about us and what we want, what our expectations are, or how we feel about ourselves. And all of this stuff going on inside of us can make us, at times, sensitive. touchy and somebody does something somebody says something but for some reason it touches a nerve deep within us and it, it, and, and and our reaction is not so much to what happened or what was said but to all that stuff going on inside of us and that particular nerve that that particular event touched And dealing with all this stuff can make us insensitive to other people and what they need or what they are really doing or why they are doing it because of our focus. And so learning to deal with anger means that we have to, and and, and these are the two things we're going to focus on for the next few minutes. How do you and I as followers of Jesus deal with anger? And to do that, we have to answer two questions. How much of it? How much of my anger is really about other people and how much of it is really about me? And a lot of times, both play into the equation when we're upset. And I'm going to go on record and say that rarely is our anger solely about other people, what he did, what she did. That often, it may be about what they did, but just as often, it's about some things happening inside of us as well. And they work together. Maybe it's not always 50-50, but both are in play most of the time when we're angry. And dealing with it well as a Christian means trying to not just look at the other person, but also look at myself and what am I to learn about me. Tracing my emotions to their true sources the words that I'm thinking, the thoughts that are running through my mind, where are they really coming from? Not just on the surface, but deep, deep, deep inside of me, 
where are those thoughts, those feelings really coming from? James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It's not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members. You lust. You want something. You don't have it, so you commit murder. You attack someone. You criticize someone. You say something about someone. You blame someone. You were envious and cannot obtain. You don't get it. You don't get what you want. The ten were upset because James and John had the courage to go up and ask Jesus for what all of them wanted. You see, this is all especially true when there's something we want or expectations we're putting on other people. Sometimes they don't even know we're putting those expectations on them, but we get mad because we expect something and they don't even know we expect it. We want something, but we're mad because they also want it. Because we think we should have it, not them. Right? And this is especially true if we, listen, listen, if we tend to feel inadequate, insecure, we tend towards, toward low self-esteem. Because a lot of times our reaction is out of those feelings of inadequacies, those feelings of low self-esteem, and the anger becomes a way of covering it up so that we don't have to deal with, with what's really happening. I feel bad about me. They did that. that, that it touches that nerve and pow. I'm not saying that other people don't have a part to play in our getting angry. Sometimes they do. But I am saying it's easy for us to see that part of it. What's hard is for us to see the part that's going on inside of ourselves. Because that's not fun. It's messy. It takes some time and some processing and some honesty and digging deep. And and it means I may have to admit something. I may need to change something. I may need to grow in some way. And that's a lot harder than just staying on the surface and looking out at other people and saying, yeah, him, her, she, you know, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Because we don't have to deal with it. But that's not the way you handle anger. Now, I want to talk for just a moment about dealing with yourself, with me, and then dealing with others, okay? When you're angry, how do you deal with yourself? And when you're angry, how do you deal with, talk with others? And, and I'm going to spend a little more time on dealing with self because, as I've already mentioned, we all know about other people. We're going to talk about how to do it the right way. But biblically, listen, biblically, you're not ready to deal with your anger toward another person until you've allowed God to help you look inside yourself first. Until you take the time to look in the mirror, don't start talking to other people because you won't do it well. Look in the mirror first. Try to understand where it's really coming from because then you'll be better prepared to deal with others. So let's talk real quickly, just some principles from Scripture about dealing with yourself when you're angry. Number one, learn to to have some self-control. 
Just develop some self-control. Proverbs 20, verse 3, keeping away from strife is an honor for a man, but any fool can quarrel. In our culture today, just if you think it, say it, just let it fly. And God says the honorable thing is to sometimes hold back. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. Self-control is a good thing. Number two, don't just react. Don't just react. Proverbs 14, 17, a quick-tempered man acts foolishly. I mean, you ever done anything because you were angry and as soon as you did it, you wish you hadn't? Hmm. So usually when you're mad and you act, you react quickly, you do something really dumb. You say something not so smart. Proverbs 29, 22, an angry man stirs up strife and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. Let me ask you a question. How long does it take for a person to become angry? Hmm. Less than one second. You can move from being okay to being really mad in less than one second. Now, if that's the case, there's not a lot of thought that goes into what you say or do when you get mad. I mean, because if it happens in less than a second, there can't be much thought that goes into it. So slow down. Take a deep breath. Stop the negative self-talk in your mind that just makes you increasingly angry. Now, you know what I'm talking about. He did, and he is, and just, this just goes around and around and around. And the more you, have you ever done it? The more you talk to yourself about it, the angrier you get. And rather than trying to understand it, rather than trying to find a strategy for dealing with it effectively, you just get, you, you talk yourself into getting more angry and more angry and more angry, and the next thing you know, it's like this avalanche. Whoo! Self-control. Don't just react. Slow down. I can just imagine what some of you are thinking right now. Why is there water on the carpet? Because I poured it out. That's why. I don't want to know what some of you are thinking. And the more I pour out, the bigger the mess, and the longer it's going to take to dry. Now, why did I pour water? Well, that's what I've got. Why did I not pour tea? Because I'm not that stupid. That'd make a really bad mess. You'd have to work really hard to clean that up. And I didn't have any. That's what I got. Do you know what Jesus said? I want everybody to read the next verse. Go ahead and put the next verse up. Read that. Read that out loud. Say it again. Come on. What's inside you is going to come out. When you react, 
It's just like pouring out water. And the thing is, I can't get that water back in this bottle. And if what you pour out is really messy and really bad, damage is done. That's why God says holding back is sometimes a good thing, a smart thing. Listen, if you want to have a marriage that lasts, if you want to have good friendships that last, you will sometimes hold back. Because if you don't learn to do that, guess what? Your relationships are going to struggle. And that's not about them. That's about you. That's about me. Sometimes we've got to let things go. Learn to let things go. Proverbs 19, 11, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. Discretion can be a good thing. Number four, don't obsess. Proverbs 30, verse 33, for the churning of milk produces butter, the pressing of the nose brings forth blood, and the churning of anger produces strife. I'm an old country boy. I've experienced all of those. When I was a kid, I churned butter on the farm. It's not fun. It's a lot of work. And when I was a kid growing up on the farm, I got into a few fights. I've bloodied noses, and I've had mine bloodied. And the Bible says anger can be just like that. You just churn and churn. It's all going on. Just churn. That self-talk over and over. You just keep talking to yourself over and over and over. And you, you just, you're just getting madder and madder. You just churn, churn, churn. And then some of you do it with other You talk with other people. And, 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 and you repeat the story over and over and over and over. Rather than talking to find a strategy for dealing with it, talking to try to understand it better, you, you tell people the, the same story over and over about how terrible he is, how horrible she is, and you repeat it over and over and over. And the more you tell the story to others, you get, because you're not finding that, you just, you just, he's a rotten scoundrel, she's, you just, oh. And you repeat it over and over and over. And by the way, this is not a sexist statement, but research tells us that women are more prone to repeat the story over and over and over to other people than men. Now, a lot of ladies are nodding because you didn't need research to tell you that, did you? And so we obsess on it in our mind and in our conversations, not to find a solution, a strategy, but just to vent. I'm mad, I'm mad. He's no good, she's no good. Good. And that obsession tends to make it worse, not better. And then lastly, in dealing with ourselves, don't let it grow. Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble because when you let weeds grow, they take over the garden. To help you in processing everything, journal. Sit down and get a piece of paper and pen and write out your thoughts, your emotions as a way to process and understand and evaluate and clarify and try to dig deep to the root cause of why that particular event caused you to react as strongly as you did because it might be pointing to something that you need to deal with because maybe your reaction is an overreaction. doesn't mean that what they did was not wrong, but your reaction might be disproportionate. How are you contributing to your feelings, to your reaction? How much of it is about you? And now, dealing with others, but listen, only after you've dealt with yourself, only after you've looked in the mirror and tried to trace the real source of why your reaction is the way it is. When you deal with others in anger, here's some principles from Scripture. Number one, do it one-on-one. 
Matthew, the Bible, Jesus said, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. But what do we do? We go and talk about him to everybody else behind his back. We gossip, we criticize, we repeat the story. And the scriptural teaching is when you're angry, you go and deal with the person. After you've dealt with yourself and tried to really understand things and process things, then you deal with the person, but you do it one-on-one in private. Because when you start talking about people behind their back and gossiping, you draw, a lot of times we draw conclusions without adequate information. We assign motives. Remember last Sunday I said if you're in a relationship that means something to you, don't just attack the person. Don't just assume they did it for such and such a reason or assign motives, but say to the person something like, you know, when you did such and such, I don't believe this is why you did it or what you meant, but when you did that, this is how it made me feel. When you did that, this is what it said to me. I don't think that's what you really intended, but that's how it made me feel. That's how I felt. That's what it said to me. So you can get clarity. Well, when you're angry, you really need that. So process it. Process it. Don't just assign motives and then go talk to them one-on-one. Number two, use gentle words. Proverbs 15, one, a, gentle, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, there are some of you listening right now and watching on television. Some of you, you need to learn to express yourself because you don't ever, I mean, you, you don't ever express yourself. You just get run over all the time. Okay, so you need to learn to express yourself. Others of you, don't have any problem doing that. You need to learn how to do it in the right way. Expressing yourself in the wrong way is just as damaging to relationships as never expressing yourself. So if, if, if expressing yourself comes naturally, naturally to you, you need to learn how to do it in a better way. Do it in the right way. That Alabama-LSU feud that resulted in two people getting shot, there's a little bit more to the story. As the story unfolded over the days, they, they came to discover that the two women were relatives who had an ongoing feud. And in a series of telephone exchanges that Saturday evening after the football game, it just kept escalating as one said this, and then the men got involved and, you know, it's like parents who start fighting because their kids are fighting. Did I say that? Okay, parents, sometimes the best thing you can do is let your kids work it out and help them. Don't make it an issue between adults. Don't, don't act like kids yourself. There's another sermon. Sometimes you've got to let kids be kids. Okay, what was I talking? Let me get back on track. I I chased a rabbit. LSU, oh yeah, the two couples. Ongoing feud, exchanging telephone calls. It escalated during those telephone conversations because neither one of, none of them, none of them knew how to hold back. None of them knew how to process. None of them took the time. It just just kept escalating and, and, and the more they talked, the harsher they talk, and, and, and it ended up in fist a fist fight, and then it ended up in, in shots being fired. It ended up two people being dead. It ended up with two kids losing their mom.
There's, there's people who can't keep a job very long because they don't know how to handle this stuff. People who can't stay in good relationships very long because they never learn how to deal with this stuff. People who jump from church to church to church because they wear after welcome everywhere they go after a while because they never learn how to deal with this stuff. We'd be willing to grow, to own, to own our part in it. I, I like Proverbs 28, 13 where the Bible says, he who, he who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Own my part in this. When I'm talking to other people about my anger, I have to be willing to own my part in it or the conversation is not going to go very well. Owning my part means admitting my fault. If you conceal your role in any of it, then there's not going to be much progress made. And learning how to say, I'm sorry, apologize, because if you conceal, you won't prosper. But if you confess, if you confess, you make progress. I was talking to a couple outside earlier today who moved here recently from Minnesota, I believe. And um, there's, there's, there's a little town north of Minneapolis that was, that was settled by Norwegian immigrants over a century ago. Today it's a resort with a lake, fishing, cabins, and so on. But the old, the, there's an old farmhouse on, on that property. And in the upstairs master bedroom of that old farmhouse, over in the corner is this awkward-looking chair. It's bigger than is needed for just one person, but not big enough for two people. And it's not very comfortable. And those Norwegians, their practice back then was that if a husband and wife were angry, before they could go to bed at night, they had to sit on that chair together. Not enough room for both of them, and so it was very uncomfortable. But they had to sit on that chair together until they were both willing to say, I'm sorry. They called it the sorry chair. Now, some of you have a hard time saying, I'm sorry. And that's really going to hurt you in relationships if you don't learn how to say, I'm sorry, and I was wrong, and I apologize. I own my part. I own my part in it. And then change. If you forsake, and here's the thing. Normally in relationships, if we're willing to own our part, and make an effort to be different, we will find what this verse says. We will find, look at that. What's the last word in the verse? What's the last word, church? Normally, if we'll own our part and do it the right way, we will find compassion in relationships. But when you don't own your part, guess what? Not going to be a lot of compassion. And the last thing goes back to the story of Jesus and the disciples. It's learning to care about the needs of others, including those that you're upset with. Let's wrap this up. Look in Mark chapter 10. Now, we learned in verse 41 that the other 10 were upset with the, tw- with the two, but they all wanted the same thing, so there's a backstory to it. And that's what Jesus did in verse 42. Mark 10, 42, he said, Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who, those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. 
But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your, your what? Servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Notice this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. How did Jesus deal with their, with their anger with one another? Do you, do you know what Jesus is really saying here? Jesus is saying that for himself, his focus was not on himself. It was on them. It was on us. He came to die for us. So when I go through life, when you go through life, we go through life, and our focus is primarily on self, we're probably going to have more conflict and more anger and more stuff to deal with than we will if we learn to go through life having some focus on other people and what they need. In the upper room, the last time they argued among themselves about who was most important, their focus was on themselves. Jesus' focus was on all of us. And by the way, God has every right to be angry with us because of sin. Because of all the ways we've dishonored him. All the ways we've broken his laws. All the times we've ignored him. And yet God says, my focus is on making a way for you to be in relationship with me. And now he says to you and me, you're my follower. Go out there and try to do what I did for you. Go out there and try to be that kind of person in your relationships with other people. Because ultimately our goal is not to win the argument. Because if that is your goal and that's what you win, that's probably all you will win. Your goal is to win a relationship. And you can't do that if you're not willing to look inside yourself at the same time you're looking out at everybody else who makes you mad. you got to do both. Because if you look at yourself, then when you deal with others, you'll do it better. You'll do it better. Let's stand. Father, as we sing this song, help us. Help us in this very special, very very beautiful, very holy moment of invitation. Help us, God. Help us respond to you. Help us listen to your voice and dig deep. Help us, God, respond. We're going to sing this song, and I invite you to make your way to this altar to pray some of you will come because well candidly you're you're struggling in some relationships and you're going to come and pray about that others are going to come because you're dealing with other issues got nothing to do with anger or conflict but there's other things going on in life and you just need to pray about it so you come and pray about those things 
Some of you need to join this church. We welcome you. We want you to be a part of our family of faith. Some of you need to request baptism or commit your life to Christ. So let's sing together. And Jamie and others, we'll be here at the front. You come right now while we sing.